here at East Bay Calvary Church. I don't know, uh, how many of you were here, participated, attended, whatever, the last two days in any of those events? Uh, let's see your hands. You know, um, I will tell you, this is my first time through. It's my first time through with our sportsman's banquet and then also this animal show that we had yesterday. And, and there's a little celebration we need to do, gang. Because over the last two days, we have had over 3,000 people come through this facility and be ministered to by our church people. And I just think that is absolutely fantastic. Everything was just a sellout and even... Um, our second kids thing at one o'clock yesterday, there were even more people. We had to get a shoehorn to squeeze some of them in this place. It was really fantastic. And um, the gospel went out crystal clear Friday night, Saturday night. And uh, we're just excited to see our opportunity that we have to connect with some people who really sense a need to get their lives turned around and get back to God. So the work may seem like it's done in a way it is not. We got more work to do. The real work begins when we get to follow up with people and try to connect them with Jesus Christ and, um, and, and get their life where God wants it to be. So continue to pray about that. And there's a little more work to do because you see some deer heads and things like that laying around. That's not going to be the normal decor for our church. Although there's some people here that would say, let's do it, huh? You know, I kind of like that guy over there. Uh, Stay, I know, I know, pretty neat. Hey, um, we had, this is the biggest thing for me, and if I could just, uh, if I could brag on you folks, I am absolutely blown away by the amount of dedication and service that we had from about 100 red shirts this weekend who gave, I would say tirelessly, but they looked pretty tired to me toward the end. I cannot get over it. People that worked well into this morning cleaning this place up and all the way through smiling and caring for people from our community. And I am, I'm just so proud of you folks. I really am. I'm, I'm proud of you for the sake of Jesus Christ and his testimony. I'm just, I'm proud to be with you. I'm so glad to be your pastor. And I just thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of your excellent work. And there may be some people around. I, I, I wouldn't doubt there's some people that work this thing that are home right now. And we're going to give them one cut for the year. That's They've spent it. <clears throat> they cannot miss any other Sundays. That's the end. And then some of you may be here who work the weekend and you are dog tired. And so I'm telling you, if you are sitting near someone who worked at this banquet and they start to fall asleep, you just let them. You just Maybe you grab your coat and put it over them, kind of tuck them in a little bit. You let them get the best sleep because they earned it. You don't have to keep them awake one bit. Um, just when they do wake up toward the end, just thank them for all their service this weekend for Jesus Christ here at our church. Um, anyways, that's my mini commercial. Uh, back to the book of Esther. So if you would grab your copy of the scriptures and turn to the book of Esther. We've been figuring out how to turn there, even if it's a new book of the Bible for you. And so if you open up your Bible about halfway, 
you may find like um, Proverbs or Psalms or Job. And if you see Proverbs or Psalms or Job, just go to the left. Start turning to the left a little bit earlier in your scriptures because the book of Esther is right before Job. So uh, it goes Proverbs, Psalms, Job, Esther, if you're going from right to the left to be able to find that. And today we are talking about priorities. Today is about keeping the main thing, the main thing, keeping first things first. And I think we all can agree that sometimes it is difficult. It's not always clear. What are the most important priorities to do at that very second? Sometimes it's hard to decipher that. So with our sportsman's banquet, I, I have to pull out one of my best hunting stories that I know of. Um, in understanding priorities, there was a group of friends that went deer hunting and paired off in twos for the day. And that night, one of the hunters returned alone, and he was staggering while he was dragging this massive eight-point buck. The other guy said, where's Harry? And... The other hunter dragging the buck said, well, Harry had a stroke of some kind. He's, he's a couple miles back up the trail. The other hunter said, you, you left Harry laying there and you carried the deer back? That was a tough decision, said the hunter. I was afraid someone would steal the buck, but I figured no one would steal Harry. Sometimes these priorities are a little tough to figure out. What are your greatest priorities? When we talk about this, there's two kinds of priorities. Grab your study guide. Do you have that with you? I want, I want to talk about these two kinds of priorities, and I think you'll agree with me when we discuss these. These are common for all of us. And the first kind of priorities are our stated priorities, our stated priorities. Now, what these are, these are the things we know. I love this new stage. I can come over closer to you folks now. You guys may say, let's go back to the old stage, you know. Um, there's our stated priorities. There's the things that we know these are right. And so, you know, if we had a quiz and said, um, hey, what are your priorities? Say, you know what? It's God. And then my family and then my friends, and then work. You know, these are things we would state and say, yeah, that's, that's how it all works. Those are my priorities, and, and we understand what they are. But then there's the second kind of priorities, and these are maybe a little harder to think about, our true priorities. What are our true priorities? And, and these are the things, although we have stated priorities, these are the things that truly go at the top of the list. We would like to think it is God and our family and our friends and our work, but you know, sometimes it doesn't go like that. Sometimes our priorities are inverted and sometimes things that should be a little bit lower on the list actually make it higher on the list and things that should be higher actually end up lower. And you know how it all goes because we've all been there. We all experience it. Sometimes there's a priority inversion and I would like to say, what are our stated priorities and wish that they were our true priorities, but that's not always the case. Well, here we are in the book of Esther in chapter two. 
And we're going to see the life of a man named Mordecai, through whom we're going to glean some good lessons about priorities. And so hopefully you are there in the book of Esther by now, chapter 2. If you're not used to turning there, friend, by the time we are done with this series, you're going to grab your Bible and whoop, it's just going to open automatically to the book of Esther. It's going to be great. How about you stand with me? I'm going to read a few verses for you in chapter 2 about Mordecai. And um, I'm, I'm just going to start to read some sections about him. Like, first, let's look at verses 5 through 7. I'm going to read that, and then we're going to jump down to verse 10 and 11 and look at that, and then we're going to look at verses 19 and 20, and we'll see those. So follow along with me. Verses 5 through 7 of Esther chapter 2. Listen as I read. It says, Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jer, son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother, this young woman who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. Hey, jump down to verse 10, would you? Let's look at the next couple verses down there that talk about Mordecai. So Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day you walk back and forth near the courtyard of, of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Now jump down to verse 19, a couple more verses about Mordecai. Verse 19 and 20. When the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality just as Mordecai had told her to she continued to follow Mordecai's instruction as she had done when he was bringing her up. I know it's slightly fragmented. We've been going through some of the different individuals in this account. We talked about Esther and saw more of it. We're just filling in some of that this week when we talk about Mordecai. So have a seat. Let's jump into it. I want to give you a couple facts about Mordecai. Couple facts about Mordecai, and then we're going to land on our discussion about priorities from his life. So here's a couple things. Number one, Mordecai had position. Mordecai had position. That's one of your blanks there. Uh, letter A. He had position, and and I know you may be looking at this and saying, how do we understand that he had position in Persia? He was a prominent man. He lived in the region of the residence of the king. And so here's our first clue that this man had position. It mentions there in verse 5. Now there was in the citadel of Susa. The citadel of Susa, this is the residence of the king. And, and to hear that Susa, it may not do much for you right now, but essentially... If you put in perspective here in this land region that is one and a half times the length of the United States of America, somewhere in there is the citadel of Susa. It is the military center of this whole region of Persia. And we would look at Susa today and say, you know, that's like our, that would be like the Pentagon and Washington, D.C. put together. 
This is the political center. This is the military center. This is where Xerxes, the king of Persia, resided. This is where all the action was, and that's exactly where Mordecai was. He was in the citadel of Susa. And then we also understand from some of these other passages that he had a position at the gate. Now, I want to give you a few pictures just so that way you realize if you went there right now, there are remnants that remain from this time period in Persia from the actual temple and residence of King Xerxes. And what you're looking at right now is the throne of a hundred pillars. This is the actual throne region for Xerxes, who was the king of Persia, and a couple other pictures to help you identify. This was a front gate into the palace of Xerxes, and the inscriptions help us to understand exactly. You realize this is not any little place. This is an amazing place of architecture. And is there another one we have as well? This is a more aerial view of some of the remains of that um, 100 um, pillar throne of Xerxes and all that still remains. This was a big deal in that day. This was the center hub of commerce. This was the center hub of military and of politics. And right smack dab in the middle of it was Mordecai. Uh, if you look down just for a moment, at verse 19 in chapter 2, it mentions Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. This is not merely a place that maybe he just set up a chair and hung out. What this is in reference to, he was most likely in a place of authority. He had some type of special position within the government structure of Persia, and he would have been known by all around that he was in this position of authority. It's not fully certain exactly what his position was. The top two options for his position were either a judge or a finance officer within the king's government. Mordecai, was he was getting up there. He was well-known. He was a man of position, a man of authority. People understood exactly who this guy was. Here's number two. I like this about Mordecai. He had compassion. He had compassion. Verse 7 mentions his relationship with Hadassah, who we also now know as Esther. And historical evidence shows Esther was the daughter of Mordecai's uncle, Abihail. So Esther was Mordecai's cousin, is what it was. And the text mentions that her parents died, as we discussed last week. And Esther and her parents potentially were residents of Babylon under Persia's control. And for unknown reasons, her parents passed away and Mordecai um, brought her up. Now, this is the thing I love the most about this. It wasn't merely that he took her in. It wasn't merely that he gave her a place of residence. This, to me, there's a phrase here that touches my heart. And I love this. And I think you know I love this because you know I got seven kids. I got a special place in my heart for kiddos. We've hosted nine different orphan kids from the Ukraine. And my wife and I talk about it every once in a while. Sometimes we're thinking we may even like kids more than we do adults, you know. Kids are awesome. And look at Mordecai. The relationship he had with her, the end of verse 7 
It mentions this young woman who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Here's the phrasing I love. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter. It just does my dad heart good, doesn't it? That's awesome. He didn't merely take her in. <clears throat> Esther, you are as though we gave birth to you. You're my DNA. I love you in the very same way. Um, this isn't in here, but I know a little bit of that feel. It was um, just a few nights ago. I couldn't sleep. It was right around 4 a.m., and I woke up, and it's never happened to me when I was a teen. You know, you could sleep until like 1 or 2 in the afternoon and still felt deprived of sleep. I have no idea how that happens. And here's an adult. It's 4 a.m., and bing! You know, you wake up and there you are laying there and, and I'm laying in bed and I'm realizing it's about 11 in Ukraine in the morning. They're about seven hours in front of us. And so I'm laying in bed and nothing, you know, I look over and Lisa's doing exactly what I wish I were doing. You know, she's snoozing and I'm like, you know, let's see what the weather is. I grab my phone, look at the weather, check my email and then bing. A message from Christina. This is the girl we just had here. And I know I am not falling asleep anytime soon. And so um, here's, here's how it goes. You know, I go to Google Translate and I put it in English and here it comes in Ukraine. I copy that and run over here and I paste it in Messenger. And then she'll send me a message. Of course, it's in Ukraine. I have to copy that and go over to Google Translate and put it in in Ukraine and it comes out in English and I'm just going back and forth. And then all of a sudden, here it is about 4.30, and then her message is, can I call you? So I said, duh. And I'm thinking, she's not going to call me. Well, guess what? So it's 4.30, I'm like, what, you know? Because <laughs> it's going to be a video chat. I'm like, oh, my. And I run downstairs and I hit it and she comes across and wouldn't you know it, that little stinker, she's in computer class. And so she's not saying anything, she's just staring at me and I hear the teacher in the background and all the screen is is from here up and she's just staring at me, just smiling, looking at her computer and then I see a friend start to peek over and they, she pushes her friend away and she's... Smiling all through, and so we never said a word for three minutes. We just kind of stared at each other. And I'm thinking, not only that, I love her as a daughter, she's acting just like my daughters would. This is so cool, you know. That's kind of the heart that Mordecai had for this girl. He just, he loved her, just like his very own. As much as we love things about Mordecai, there's something here that's a lesson for us to grow from. And I, I want to put this out to you. I want us to think about this for the remainder of our time. And here's number three or letter C. Mordecai had misaligned priorities. He had misaligned priorities. Now, I know I'm going out on a limb. We're a little tired this morning. Not only did we have the banquet here, some, some of you spent time shoveling this morning, working your way out of snow to get here. But I want to show you a really special thing to understand all of what happened in the book of Esther 
has been foretold, this time period has been foretold by a prophet named Daniel. Now, if you want to navigate with me just for a moment, um, jump forward to the book of Daniel. And if you're going through the Old Testament, some of the big books of the Bible that are right before it would be, the, the main one right before it is Ezekiel. Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. So you'll see Hosea, um, uh, Jeremiah, I'm sorry, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel chapter 11. I want to show you something that's really interesting, and we're going to see a fulfilled prophecy. This is a prediction made numerous years before the book of Esther was written. And Daniel made this prophecy, and you're, it came true right like that. And here's the prophecy from Daniel chapter 11, verse 2. And it's about five Persian kings. Now, hang tight with me for a moment because you are going to see how this impacts our priorities. Five Persian kings in Daniel eleven two. Here's the prophecy of Daniel. It says, now I tell you the truth. Three more kings will arise in Persia. And then a fourth who will be far richer than all the others. And when he has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king will arise who will rule with great power and will do as he pleases. After he has arisen, his empire will be broken up and parceled out toward the four winds of heaven, it will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. So there is right now at this time in Daniel 11, the Persian king Cyrus is in power. And so you're going to see here on this little chart, the first king we're talking about is Cyrus. I, I'm not sure if, if any of these accounts um, if these are familiar to you or not. But essentially, Nebuchadnezzar, who we heard about in Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar came and overtook Jerusalem and brought a number of the Jews into exile into Babylon. And then what happened is Nebuchadnezzar passed, and then another king stepped in, and Belshazzar was his name, and he was the one that took all the goblets and everything from the Jerusalem temple, and he desecrated them. They got drunk with him, they partied with him, and he desecrated all the elements of the temple. And maybe you've heard this figure of speech, a great hand came and wrote on the wall. You ever heard the, the phrase, the handwriting is on the wall? That's where it comes from. And this handwriting said, tonight, your life is going to be required and taken from you. And that very night, Cyrus, king of Persia, came in and overtook Babylon. Babylon was no longer under Belshazzar's rule. It was now under Persian rule, and specifically King Cyrus. So Cyrus was the first. Then it mentions in verse 2 of chapter 11, three more kings will arise in Persia, and then a fourth. I want to show you something. From Cyrus, when Cyrus was king in Persia, 
he told the Jews in Ezra 1, go home. Go back to Jerusalem. Rebuild your temple. He was even going to help fund it. And at that very moment when he said, go, get out of here, get out of Babylon, get out of Persia, and go back, tens of thousands of Jews left who had a heart for their homeland, and they went and, and rebuilt this temple. They started working at it. They started the funding for it. But some Jews still remained in Persia. Three other kings went by, and it mentions them. And then there was a fourth. And here's the fourth king who is... Or, um, after Cyrus, there's three more, two, three, four, and then here's Xerxes. And Xerxes is that rich king who went to take on Greece that it talks about, and we already discussed that a few weeks ago. And let me tell you, there's two prophets in his day, Isaiah and Jeremiah, and they both made statements, and you can look them up right there at those. I believe they're also in your notes. And here's what those prophets said. They told the Jews, it is time to get out of Persia. Go. This place is going down. There is a war that's going to come, and Persia is going to be overtaken, and people, you need to get out of here if you are Jewish, and you need to go back to Jerusalem. Interestingly enough, here's Mordecai, a Jew. He's in Persia. His family was told by Cyrus and Ezra 1, go back home, and now the prophets are saying, get out of Persia and go back home. And here he is still in Persia. On top of it, he was a Benjamite. And if that doesn't make a whole lot of sense for you, the reality is he is in the lineage of the first king of Israel, King Saul. So if I could just wrap all this up in one little nugget and give it to you, this man should have had the most allegiance for Jerusalem and for Israel. He should have been on the first boat out of there going back to Jerusalem saying, I am going to champion this for my hometown and my God. I'm going back because it's God first. And said he stayed in Persia. And then people wonder why. I think the biggest hint is the reality that he was a very successful, prominent man in Persia. Here's a couple things. What did he do? Well, he stayed in Persia. He kept his position in the government of Persia. And then here's the other thing he did, which I think is the biggest tip of the hand that potentially he was struggling with priorities and allegiance to his God because he kept his nationality and background a secret and asked Esther to do the same. Esther, shh, don't tell anyone you're a Jew. Do not let the cat out of the bag. Don't let them know any of the stuff that's going on in our family and in our history. It's a secret. His priorities had shifted. He no longer had his same allegiance to his God, his country, his heritage. He's, his passion should have been for the rebuilding of the city of God and the temple of God. His heart should have been for his nationality and his religious heritage, but it just wasn't. It wasn't like it was. 
So before we get too worked up about Mordecai, he's not here for us to talk to him. Let's talk about our priorities. Let's take a moment and ask of ourselves if there have been times in our lives when the things that mattered most weren't really at the top of the priority list. Huh? That happened to you? The things that mattered most should have been at the top and they've ended up being replaced by something else. I know we've all been there. Whenever I hear about this, I, I think of Roy Regals. If that name rings a bell, he was a member of a team that played in the Rose Bowl years ago. In the middle of a rather complicated play, he wound up with the football. So excited, he streaked for the goal line, made a sensational run, zigzagging here and there, outrunning everyone on the field, the fans came unglued and were screaming, and he crossed the goal line, but there was one problem. It was the wrong goal line. The wrong fans were cheering him. It was demoralizing. He never lived it down, and to this very day, he is known as Wrong Way Regals. Imagine being successful at all the things that really didn't matter. My first memorable example of succeeding at the things that don't matter was uh, about 24 years ago. I was a single youth pastor in Ohio. I went to the hospital to visit a man who was in his last two days of living. I remembered walking into his room, all the tubes, all the bags, surrounding his bed, and I approached him, and he, he opened his eyes. I really didn't know him well. I knew he was a successful businessman. He had about everything that would be on our personal wish list, okay? He had it all. His deep coughs loosened up the fluid that would eventually take his life. And his words labored, so I attempted to carry the conversation as much as I can. You know, pastors are kind of used to one-way conversations for a while. And um, I started talking about his business and his accomplishments. And after a few moments of that, talking those things up, I saw his hand come up off the bed and he was doing this. And I realized it was time for me to be quiet. And as he did this, he could barely squeak anything out. And I remember leaning over just to try to hear what he was saying. And he said these words. I wish I stayed home more. Another amazing quote of misaligned priorities was the famous evangelist Billy Sunday. After leading thousands of people to Jesus, on his deathbed he told his wife, honey, we won the world to Christ and our own kids are going to hell.
in life you may have worked hard and even scored. But if we cross the wrong goal line, gang, we lose. We miss out on the things that matter most. We're not honoring to our God and we're not accomplishing the things that he wants us to do. So I got thinking of some things that are on our stated priority list. You think about them. Maybe you write them on your, on your pad there, on your sheet. And, and I got thinking, you know, obviously, would we all agree the number one person in our lives needs to be God himself. Amen? I mean, even if you're asleep, you could just say amen and, and you would have been right there. Amen. It's true. The one who created us and made us, the one who's ruler of everything, he should be number one. And I tell you, here's, here's another one after that. In the beginning, God. Then guess what the next thing he created was after, you know, the stars and the moon and trees and all that. The next thing he created was family, husband, wife. There's God. There's family, extended family, about nine or ten down here, mother-in-law. No, just kidding. I hope she doesn't get this recording. I'm in trouble. So um, God, family, friends, work. How's our priorities, folks? Friends, how easily we can become Mordecai's. Now don't raise your hand. Don't say a word. How many of us, like Mordecai, that our very occupation, our livelihood, our identity is wrapped up in that? And it can easily take the place of our faith decisions and our family decisions. Happen? Here's some number of things that can take priority and distract us. I, I got thinking, we have these priorities, we know what they are, but there are some distraction to them. And I really think, you correct me if I'm wrong, here's, here's a major distraction to the things that matter the most. One would be our occupation. How many times do we run to the aid of our employer or just obsess even when we're home and we punched out to the point that we overlook the very blessings that God has given us all around? I really think that's a biggie. I understand there's a difference sometimes that we, we may need to give extra attention in different areas, but it just can't be sustained. Here's another one. I'm going to step on all of our toes. You want to know what I think is a major distraction to our priority list in life? This guy right here. Now, I'm going to tell you, here's a beauty. Over my last seven months here, I have probably been able to date my wife more than like the last 10 years when we were in New York. And... um being just 
a mile and a half away from church. Man, it makes, I'll call her from the office. I'll be like, hello, baby, you know. <laughs> Let's go to Honey Bake Ham. And swing, pick her up, and take her out. And you know what I'm amazed sometimes? We'll go out on a date, we'll go out for dinner. And here's a couple sitting across from each other. Think, boy, they must be having a great time together. It's what they do the whole time. Then their food comes. Then they'll take a picture of it and post it on Facebook out with my wife, you know, and then go back. And I'm like, what? And then they leave. I'm like, you know, you could have saved a lot of money and just stayed home and done that. Just go to the fridge, warm something up, look at your phone. It's amazing how our priorities have quickly changed. I, I'm like, you know what? If there were some couples that spent the FaceTime with each other like they do with these guys, there'd probably be a lot of kids in their house gagging, you know, over all the smooching and kissing that happens. I love it when we do that. My kids are like, oh, ugh, you know, mom, dad, that's disgusting. Probably need more of that. There's a number of other things that can step into place of what really matters most. It can even be recreational activities. I read some crazy stories this week of people playing rotisserie baseball or some people that go berserk with fantasy football spend 10 or 20 hours a week rotating their team around and how to work all this out. And I'm thinking, forget fantasy. Let's, let's be in reality, man. Let's be in the world that God has given us. It doesn't take much. John Greenleaf Whittier wrote these words, for all the sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. I've got some good news. We're going to finish with it. Here we go. With Mordecai, his priorities were misaligned. He put his faith on the back burner, as Daniel Schaefer said. He put it on the back burner by not going back to his homeland. But God gave him another chance. And we get to talk about this in future weeks. I'm not going to spill the beans right now. God gave this man another chance. Was he going to put his faith forward? Were they going to open up about his own nationality? Where was he going to be with all this? And I love this. Because it shows even when we've blown it, even when we've misplaced priorities, we put crazy things before the best things. God still gives us another chance to turn it around. He did it with Mordecai. He did it with us. And here's the big fat theological word that sticks out for us when God gives us another chance. Here's what it is. It's called grace. Isn't that a good thing? He gives us a second chance, and it's grace. And I just want to give you some good news. Behind the scenes, God continued to work with Mordecai. He worked in his life so that eventually he becomes part of the Jews' great deliverance, and that's only by his grace. And so God gives us grace 
to turn things around. He always does. And here's two ways we can turn things around. Number one, to turn things around in life. To turn things around in life. It's not too late to turn things around with your spouse. It's not. Find a different pickup line than hello, baby. Come up with your own. It's not too late to turn things around with your kids. You can adjust the priorities back. It's not too late to turn things around with God's people. You can get connected more. It's not too late to turn things around, even with your health. Go for it. Today is our chance to turn this thing around. Some people say, it's too late. Who says? I wrote some crazy stuff down. Some of it's inspired by hunting. Pursue your wife like you pursue your deer. I think it might even change your marriage a little bit. I heard a phrase a while back. I, it always stuck. It says, praise your wife even if it scares her at first. Point out the great things with her. Admire your husband more than a new wardrobe. Tune into your kids more than the TV. Link with God's people more than LinkedIn. And when we do things like this, we find ourselves winning at the things that really matter, not only in life, but they matter to God. When we turn things around in life, today's an opportunity for that to happen for you, my friend. Here's number two. To turn things around with him, with God. This is the ultimate in grace. This is at the top of the list. God gives us the opportunity to turn things around with him. Even though we may have screwed up, sinned, transgressed against him, and we know it in our heart where we've been, God gives us the opportunity to come back no matter where we've been and straighten the relationship out. And you know what? We say, well, how do I get rid of all that stuff that's been against him? All of those things that I've done, how can I clean that mess up. And here's the beauty of it. God not only gives us the opportunity to come back to him, he has provided the means to come back to him because Jesus Christ died on the cross and he bore the penalty for all of that sin that we have done. God not only says, come back to me, but he says, you know what? I've also provided the way. It's through Jesus Christ. He died for you. I have paid for your sin. And all you need to do is believe that Jesus died for you. That's grace. It is by grace that we are saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by our works so that no one can brag. It's by grace. We find ourselves far from God. The first step on the road back is to be forgiven. And we can be forgiven because the punishment we should get for our sin, 
was put on Jesus when he died on the cross. This is not the most elaborate message that you'll ever hear in your entire life, but I want it to be very pointed and practical for us here today. Friend, if you find yourself far from God, don't go huge yet. Just start at square one. Believe in Jesus. Believe he died for you. Believe that's your only way to be forgiven is by trusting in his death on the cross for you. And if you find some of your other priorities messed up, let's make today a day of commitment. I know we're a month late on New Year's resolutions. You can make them anytime. And I would encourage you, you want to turn some priorities around, one of the best ways to do it is to commit those with a friend. Tell them. Maybe it's in your small group or your ABF Say, you know what, here's some commitments I made when I was listening with pastor the other day. I need to get some things turned around. I read the paper way more and I read the Bible way less. That needs to flip. I worry a whole lot and I don't pray much. I don't spend time with my spouse. I spend it all online. Today's a day we can turn this thing around by his grace. So would you bow your head with me? I just want you to think in your mind, hey, we're all real here. There's something in you. There's something in me that we can say, you know what? I got a priority that's out of alignment And if it's a life priority, would you make a specific conscious decision right now? I need to bump that up to where it should be, and whatever it's in its place, that needs to go down. Would you make that decision in your heart, and would you promise you're going to tell somebody this week Something's going to be different in you because God's given you grace right now, the opportunity to turn around. And number two, if you're in the spot, friend, where you don't know where you are with Jesus Christ, you don't know if you're forgiven, here's how it works. It's all about him. Just realize you're a sinner. Realize he died on the cross. He was beaten and tortured to bear the punishment that we should have had for our wrong. Ask him to be the forgiver and leader of your life. To clean you from the inside out. And if you believe that with all of your heart, friend, the Bible says you're God's child and you're a part of his family. And I say welcome to the family. Let us know if you've made that decision. I'd love to connect with you on it. And Father, in the midst of these people and mainly in the midst of you and your spirit here, touch the hearts of all of us. Help us to prioritize what matters most. 
to never let the temporal beat out the eternal or the things you put a high price tag on to be beat out by the lesser cheap things. And in the end, may we win at the things that matter most. And God, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So really, we could have ended about a half hour ago if I just told you one verse. It's Matthew 6, The words of Jesus about priorities. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things, yeah, they'll be added to you. Jesus' statement about priorities. His kingdom his righteousness. He'll take care of the rest. I'm doubly impressed, folks. Not only did you work your tails off this weekend, 74% of you stayed awake during the service. You really did well. I praise God for you. We love you. So thankful to be a family together. God bless your week. Safety on the roads. We'll look for you next week. It's We Love the Bible Sunday. We're going to take up a special offering for the Gideon ministry at the end of our service. Hope you come and be a part of it. Have a great week.